Intro as written by Marty. Welcome. In this episode, the guys cover some hot new games like Terra Nova, Village Rails, and Heat. Plus, who doesn't theme parks, which is why you'll want to hear about Dice Theme Park. Huh? Intro as interpreted by Vanessa. Hey y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys cover some hot new games like Terra Nova, Village Rails, and Heat. Plus, who doesn't like theme parks? Which is why you'll want to hear about a new game, Dice Theme Park. Hello and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Woo-hoo. This is episode number 272. <laughs> <laughs> Roller coaster. I'm Tony. <laughs> what? All right. So here's the thing. Oh, that's Marty. Things. That's Marty. A couple things. When you're getting ready to yell into the microphone, back pull up. Pull back. <laughs> You got this editing thing down. Well, well, no, but I can't. I can't edit out you screaming to the microphone or pegging the mic. You got to learn mic control. When you're gonna get loud, you got to yeah, pull away from the mic. You know. Okay, fine. All right, I, I roller coaster. Uh, my gosh, there's so many things to say. Uh, do you remember? I swear we've talked about this before. I think we've talked about the song roller coaster. Where you remember the myth that came uh-huh. out in the '70s about somebody being murdered. Oh, the Ohio, because this is by Ohio players, right? Yes. Okay, then then we did talk about it. Therefore, the name of this show is The Heat Is On. <laughs> I like how you just rolled with that. Oh, yeah. Hey, I, I, you had a lot to choose from here because we got games based on theme parks and, and uh, racing and everything. So you did good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm almost positive we, did, we spent a lot of time talking about the myth of the woman that was murdered during the recording of Roller Coaster. Well, which one was, which song was it where she was stuck to the floor because the honey was pulled over, poured on top of her? I think there was something to have to do with the same one. Okay. Cause that's the myth. I always heard that you can hear the scream in the show, in the song because she it's on the cover and she's covered in honey and she got stuck. I do remember this uh, when this came out, when we didn't have the internets to be able to Snopes it or, you know, truth, uh, truth check it. Fact check it. There's a word. They said that they didn't come out and squash the rumors because it helped record sales. So they said, well, yeah. why would we come out here and deny anything when it's just helping people go listen to our music? Because they're listening to it over and over again, listening for that stream. Exactly. And then they go pull the album cover to see what they're, everybody's talking about. Things but that's not change. what this episode's called. It's called uh, The Heat Is On, which was featured in what movie? Uh, Heat Is On. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. It was sung by, uh, it was, was it sung by Glenn Fry? You're on top of it, dude. Okay. Thank you very much. How many Eagles can you name? Uh, not many. I, I can see, I mean, there's Don Henley, Glenn Fry, and that's usually where I pause. And then I can see, a t- it was one named Timothy. No. Timothy B. Schmidt. Yes. T- Timothy B. Schmidt. Um, and Henley. There's a really popular solo artist that joined them uh, during Hotel California. And I can't remember. Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh. That's it. Mm. Joe Walsh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then there were two more, weren't there? Because there, there, were were... Se- there were several members. Uh, I think there were actually a couple different bass players. Okay. Ooh, 
Okay, we got all the music trivia out of the way. What's left? <laughs> well, since we got a lot of games, we will cut to it. But there is one yes. issue I need to bring up here. Uh-oh, uh-oh. So one of my tasks in doing this, and I don't have many tasks in doing this podcast, is I'm supposed to go back and do a listening check to make sure that Marty does not edit, cut, bleep, or subtract, or add to, or have the music off. That's one of my goals in life. We call it a QA. It's quality assurance. You're the QA tester for the show. And part of that is whenever he or I record with our wives, we don't get to listen in. We don't know what is said. So she do, he doesn't know what Don is saying or anything like that. So I'm listening to the Marty Vanessa segment and I'm listening to it. And generally, you know, I'm like, okay, he's got the music from, right. From last episode. I from assume? last, last okay. episode. I'm listening to this and I'm like, okay, usually I just, okay, listen to it. Yeah. They're talking about a game. I need to listen and pay attention to this game because we need to talk about it or I actually get to play it. Um, and then there's a little shade being thrown my way. <laughs> A little shade coming my way about my humor and y'all's humor and how highbrow your humor is on this Napoleon Dynamite thing, which I have watched. Thank you very much. I, I, I think I did say that I believe you had watched it. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't care for it. Yeah. It, it's, it's not the humor I enjoy. And I know sure. you enjoy it. And we've always mentioned that for almost 10 years on the show that you and I do have different humor that we like to watch. Mm-hmm. Your, yours is more, I will call it, sophist- is it sophisticated or is it dry? You know what? That's it. That's the perfect word is dry. Uh, because You're I'm a British huge, humor. You love I'm British a, humor. I'm a huge Monty Python fan, which is super dry. Uh, you haven't watched the IT crowd yet, have you? I've watched two episodes of it, That's and right. some of it has hit home. Matter of fact, okay. we, Don and I were watching, I think we've seen two or three episodes of it when we had Netflix at my daughter's house. Mm-hmm. A lot of that hits home just personally. So he doesn't even have to be yeah. dry humor. No, I, I, yeah, it was funny as I was talking. It's like, oh boy, he's going to be hearing this. I wonder what he's going to think. <laughs> hey, no, nothing. Just I just love the kind of highbrow humor. I'm like, okay, yeah, we're going to go with that. <laughs> well, that's that's where it's like, well, it's really stupid, dumb humor. But you call a highbrow to make yourself feel better. Okay, is that what? I got, that I got a question. Is? Did you like the Austin Powers movies? Uh, yes, I did very much. Okay. So I did too. Um, and, but I don't know if that's. This tongue is different. Yeah. Yeah. Tongue, tongue in cheek. I felt that was more tongue in cheek, more, I guess, lowbrow. More on the nose humor. Yeah. It was more gross type humor, I guess. And I know I'm always slapstick. I will always mm. be slapstick humor. That's my, I was watching a special on Charlie Chaplin the other day and, and hearing about his life and just how, how he was dead on with that. And he knew what he had to do because it was silent, silent movies what would bring the audience in. I was thinking about this the other day. I've talked to Mess about this before. It seems like there's not a lot of good comedy movies, just pure comedy movies being released anymore. We came out of the 80s and we mentioned Beverly Hills Cop and uh, you know, it just seemed like there was this comedy hit after comedy hit. Mm -hmm. Pure comedies don't seem to come out that. I can't even think of the last time I saw a movie that was just comedy where I just laughed. Uh, to be honest with you, the last classic comedy for me would be Thor Ragnarok, even though it wasn't comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I mean, but you know what I mean? Like pure, like just pure. This is just going to be a comedy. It's not, it's not something that has comedy in it. It's, I, I can't even think of one. Well, my daughter watched, what was it? Uh, bridesmaids with her bridesmaids recently. And they were dying laughing and but it's just old. lost. Yeah. It was lost on me, but yeah. Yeah. But you remember all the National Lampoon movies? Yes. 
Yeah, you know, all those you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mean, it was just comedy after comedy came out. Trains, planes, and automobiles. Yeah, there just really hasn't uh, been a comedy. I'm trying. To th- I can't think of one I've seen recently that I just howled at. What's what are some of the big comedy people? What are some? I mean, for you and I, you're right. Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, you know, I guess, and I'm not a fan of Will Ferrell. Um, and you know, you just mm. think about all the the comedy legends that are there. Steve Martin. You know. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about comedy shows, we, we had the Big Bang and then, of course, murder, Murders in the Building and I mean, so forth and so on. Yeah. So, now, there's so been TV shows I've watched that have been really good, solid comedies, um, but not a movie. I yeah. just can't remember a movie I went and saw that was like, I'm going to go see this and have a good time laughing at it. Because who has transitioned from the comedy role that they've had on TV to the movies? And you think of some of the Saturday Night Live big hitters now, and you just haven't seen that. Mm-mm. I mean, I, I guess Fool's Gold, or is it Fool, not Fool's Gold? It was The Lost City, Sandra Bullock and... Um, yeah, uh, which was a rom-com, but that did lean more heavily into comedy. That's probably actually the last one that was kind of a, a pure comedy I saw in the theater. Yeah, and I enjoyed Radcliffe in that. I thought he did a really mm-hmm. good job, so... Okay. Well, I enjoyed Brad Pitt. Oh, the Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Pitt steals everything that he's yeah. in. And and how and Sandra actually Sandra Bullock is very funny. She's spot on. So yeah, sometimes they, all all the actors did great in it. I'm yeah. sure. I bet Daniel Radcliffe had a blast being a bad guy in that. Oh yeah. Oh with that, yes, definitely. All right. So wow, we didn't have anything on the intro, and yet we're standing here talking about a bunch of comedy. That's okay. <laughs> well, before, I know we talked about guys. We got some games. I'm super excited to tell you all about. Oh. Just some great games going out. But before we get to that, I talked about this. I teased this at the outro of our last episode where I was going to get on uh, Twitch with some of our members from our Discord channel and play Critical Foundation Demo. Uh, This is a game from uh, Gigamic Games that we saw at Gen Con when we had a meeting with Danny from... Ashet. Question. Yeah. Are we just going to do this every time just so we can have her say it on the show? As long as I don't have to pay royalties, I'm good with it. Well, here's the thing is, because she represents a lot of different companies, mm-hmm. we get to cover a lot of games that we get uh, through her. Okay. Which is why we keep bringing it up. But, I, but the, the publishing company is Gigamic, G-I-G-A-M-I-C. And we had talked about this, I think, during our Gen Con episode about how this is like an introduction to a role-playing game. And after playing the demo, I think it does a really good job. If you're intimidated by role-playing games by either one, you've never played one, you aren't sure how to run a game or the length, what this critical foundation thing is, it's like a it's like a TV show. Even though we played the demo, when the full box comes out, season one, it's nine episodes. Each episode's 30 minutes. It plays up to five players. One person's a game master. Then you have four players. And the, the character cards are very simple. You've only got like four stats, social, mental, dexterity, uh, and another one. And when you do checks... You basically roll a die, uh, you add your any bonuses to it, and then the GM will tell you whether you passed or fail. But here's the thing is, if you're uncomfortable GMing or telling a story, there's a book that tells you, okay, read this section here. Oh, nice. Make them do this test. Did they pass or fail? It's a, uh, it's a flow chart. If they failed, tell them this part of the story. And it's one of those that, again, if you're not comfortable being a game master, this kind of eases you into it. And it really does take 30 minutes. The demo took even less because it was just, wow. it was supposed to be something that was supposed to be played at Gen Con anyway. But I think that's a really cool idea. The idea, you, you have a group, you could probably play a couple sessions in one hour, 
your characters uh, gain equipment, they level up over time, or or they get more abilities over time. They can't die uh, if they get if they lose all their health. They're just out of that scene, like the out of the scene for the TV show, and uh, play over nine episodes, and that's it. So it's going to be coming out, I believe, this month. Critical Foundation. I, th- I thought it was really cool. I think it'd be a good game for the family. And also, the the scenario of this one, it's not fantasy, it's not sci-fi, it's kind of grounded in today. So it's you don't have to use a lot of make believe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, very good. I saw y'all on. I saw the Twitch come up. Um, Donna's um, aunt and uncle were in town, so I, or I would have gotten on and texted with y'all. I think can, you can chat on Twitch, can't you? Oh sure. Oh sure. So I was going to do that. And funny, you, you mentioned the role playing thing the other night. We were watching a TV show, and one of our, one of my favorite character, Kevin Sussman, was on it. Doing mm-hmm. he had a game store. Oh, like in. Uh- yeah. Not a comic, but it was a game store. Ah, okay. And they were keen off of all of that, and they were having a big Dungeons and Dragons party there. And he had his typical humor. So I'm I'm glad y'all had fun, and I'm glad it, I'm glad everything worked out. And and Danny from Ashet was able to get everything delivered to everybody. That was awful, awesome, awesome. Oh, that's right. She uh, she took care of us because she mailed out the demo copy to all of our uh, people that participated because each of them needed a copy of the game. But the nice thing is, is if you play with friends locally, you only need one copy. So you don't Good need point. one copy per person. Uh, another thing that's come out, it's out, out on Kickstarter right now, and that is from Keymaster, a game called Chicken designed by Scott Alms. I think I said that right. Mm-hmm. The tiny epic guy. Thank you. Tiny epic guy. And Marty and I got to play this with the gaming group. And and we, we were sitting there, we were making our chicken jokes. Don't be a chicken. Oh, this game went afoul. Da, 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 da. So we were doing all this, but I took it to my mom's uh, mm-hmm. this past weekend, and I wanted to try it on some 80 years old. Okay. So my aunt, my mom, and my uncle. And we were playing. And I was just like, okay, so, you know, the the box is going to say, I don't know what the age limit is or, you know, how low it goes, maybe eight and up. Very simple game. You're rolling some dice. You're taking some chickens, and hopefully the fox don't, doesn't come and steal the chicken from the coop. And there's this push your luck to it. You get to roll again to add more chickens if you want to. If three foxes show up, you get, you're busted and, and, and you move forward. Um, one of the neat mechanics of it, and this is one of the sellers for, for the game when I was teaching it to them, was the fact that if on one side of the dice there are eggs, and if eggs ever show up, you add more dice to the dice pool. And those dice have more foxes. They also have more chickens. So it's, it adds a lot of push your luck. And that's where their strategy comes in is, do I really want to, um, after you add the dice, do I want to continue on? Cause you can roll those up. Anyway, I'm doing this and it's not for 80 year olds. Uh Oh, really? They couldn't grasp the add the dice with the eggs. Okay. Think like those dice just had baby dice. Okay. The eggs hatched and you had additional dice and I came back and won. I made Donna be the poo emoji token. She didn't appreciate that. I that's like okay. being the poo emoji token. You like that? That's pretty. That's pretty good. Emoji What's thing. it play up to? Like six, eight, eight. Yeah, you can play up to eight. I, I would recommend. We played with five, and that was a good number. I think if you go beyond that, that mm-hmm. you are going to um, begin to add a lot of a lot of downtime. It moves fast. Don't get me wrong. What I like about it is that once a dice pool is established, you take those uh, entire handful of dice and hand it to the next player. And they have to decide if they want to roll all those dice or they can choose to get rid of all the dice that were added 
and start out with the four basic white ones again, but they lose a victory point. But it might not be a bad idea to do that because if you're rolling a huge chunk of dice, there's a good chance you'll roll three foxes on that first roll and just totally lose your turn. Yes, and if someone's way ahead, you kind of, we were talking about that, Don and I were talking about it on the way home, you want that person that's way ahead in points to have to do that because mm-hmm. they're going to bust. There's a great chance they're going to bust and they're not going to score. So mm-hmm. there's the catch-up mechanism. Yep. This is not a brain burner, people. Plain and simple. This is a fun family game beyond the Yahtzee um, realm. Mm-hmm. Shoot, Yahtzee's actually more complicated than this. And But there, there's a little strategy. We compared it to zombie dice. has zombie that kind of dice. same push your luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it may be one of those things that theme-wise is more family-friendly. Instead of talking about zombies and brains and stuff like that, it's just chickens, eggs, and, and foxes eating chickens. Foxes eating chickens. And my mom kept saying, I can't tell the difference between a chicken and a fox. <laughs> mom. Mom. The chicken has the comb on its head. The fox has the pointed ears. Well, these dice need to be bigger. Okay, mom, I understand. You, you're, you're, you're 83 years old and you're a little grumpy right now, so we're going to let you go, okay? I'll just, I'll just help you out on this, okay? Well, that was kind of fun. Well, I'm not going to leave it here yet, with you because yeah, I don't think you and your friends are going to be able to play it because y'all be getting, throwing dice at each other, getting all mad at one another. So. Yeah, chicken. That's out on Kickstarter right now. I don't know if you know this, this is the 30th anniversary of Magic the Gathering. And one of the official suppliers of accessories for Magic the Gathering is Ultra Pro. And if you head over to ultrapro.com, they have tons of stuff for Magic the Gathering. And what's really cool is, is because they work hand in hand uh, with wizards, is the fact that they can get the art uh, that they use on secret lair cards and on... Uh, deck boxes and stuff to be, match exactly uh, what's in the game. And that's what I've done with uh, the Warhammer 40k Commander decks. Uh, I have all the decks protectors for all the different four factions and deck boxes to go along with them. And there's player mats for that. That's some really gorgeous 30th anniversary magic accessories like play mats and stuff. Uh, they were at a big celebration at the time of this recording. And they were advertising these really sweet mats they had out there. So if you're into Magic the Gathering and you're looking for whether it be binders or boxes or play mats or card protectors that are speci- that are specifically made with the art of Magic the Gathering, head over to ultrapro.com. shift down she's running hot baby she's running hot here we go we're talking about heat pedal to the you knew i was going to do that you knew i was going to do the car sounds i did it while you were teaching the game you did it while we were playing the game well of course i did i knew i would heat pedal to the metal days of wonder this is from asgard grinrud and Daniel Peterson, designed by artist Vincent Dutrait. Oh my gosh. Du- Woo! I listened to you. I did. Vincent Dutrait. Dutrait. Okay. Heat, pedal to the metal. It's a racing game. A fun, 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 fun racing game. But she was running good until she hit that Sack Creek Concrete retaining wall and she blew apart. That's from John Boy and Billy, a local that radio is. station. <laughs> wow. Lo- I local- actually remember that. Mm. Um, all right. So let me just say right off the bat, Heat may be one of the best pure racing games I've ever played. 
Really? Pure racing? Yes. Pure racing. Because there's, there's a lot of racing games. There's a lot the of racing side. games. A lot of people like comparing this to Flamme Rouge because you're I was getting ready to say Flamme Rouge. Carpo- I like this way better than Flamme Rouge. And Flamme Rouge is good. Oh, yeah. Flamme Rouge yeah. is really good. But, man, it's just the decisions you have to make in this game that we're going to be talking about as far as shifting gears is so important in this game mm-hmm. where it makes it – it's very thematic how they use the whole gear shifting uh, mechanism. So you, you mentioned shifting gears. So we're, we're, we're all at the starting lines. We've got our engines. She's ready to go. We're waiting for that green flag to drop. And, and, and one of the first things you got to do is you got to get your car in gear and go. And so you got to select your gear and you start off on one. And now you, it's not like you can just pick any gear. Cause if you did that, you strip them, you, sure. you, you, you stall, you can't do that. But if you go too far, you might stress the engine a little bit. You mean like skip a gear? Yeah. Like skip a gear. And I don't know any car that you can, well, could you say, yeah, you, I've, have you, did you I, ever? I, I did. So we talked about this. We've both owned straight drive cars. Yes. At one time. I love driving straight drives. Yes. I, I own three of them. Wow. And I, if I had the opportunity, I would buy another one. It's rare. You can't get them. It's rare. I mean, it's almost like it's special. You remember you used to have to add money to get automatic mm-hmm. and the manual was cheaper. It's flipped now. It's like more expensive to get the manual transmission. Because a lot of mechanical parts is not computer based. Yeah. But you could run a gear up high enough, like from second and jump straight to fourth that may run a little sluggish starting out, but you could do it. You could do it. I mean, I wouldn't, but you're right. You're absolutely you, you could. You shouldn't do that. But in this game, you can either go up one gear or two gears or down one gear or down two. You can go up or down two gears, but if you go two gears, you have to add heat. And this is a mechanism we're going to be talking about because the whole game to me, Tony, is structured around this deck of heat cards that you have to manage with your deck in order to play this game. And that's mm-hmm. the name of the game, and it's very thematic around this uh, these decks of cards that you have that are called Heat, along with your regular set of cards that everybody gets at the beginning of the game. Everybody gets just a handful of the same, exact same cards. Whatever gear you're in tells the number of cards you're going to play on your turn. If you're in fourth gear, you're playing four cards. You're in first gear, you're just playing one. Pretty straightforward. Anybody can look at their player board and say, oh, I'm in this gear. This is how many cards I play. And then everybody selectively picks that number of cards based on your gear shift. And these cards give you the amount of spaces you will move on the board. Mm-hmm. And some of the cards have some special additives where like there's this one, which if you were to play it, you continue to flip over cards until another speed card shows up. Stress card. Everybody starts with some stress cards in their deck and these number cards. Once you display all your cards, you move on the board and handle your stress cards. And then the person who moved last has some special actions that they get to do. They can move an additional space and they can also cool down, which is going to allow them to discard a heat card from their hand. Because this, this was one aspect of the game I really liked. It was the fact that certain cards you could not just simply play. You could, you could, but that's bad. There are certain cards you can't discard at all. Right. Stress cards and heat cards, you don't have the option to discard at the end of your turn. You had to get rid of them in some other way. Either play the stress card mm-hmm. or take a cooldown action to get rid of a heat card from your hand and put it back into the heat deck. 
if you played a heat card, if you were forced to because you had nothing else in your hand, you basically just forfeit your turn and you don't even move at all. Right. Because at the beginning, when it says you have to play X number of cards, you have no option. You can't play up to, you have to play that amount. And you always have seven cards at the beginning of your turn. Well, you're talking about these heat cards. So where do those come from? So on your player board, you got your draw deck, you got your heat deck, and your discard pile. If any time you ever have to take a heat card, one of the easiest ways is if you shift up or down two spots on your gear shift, you take a heat card from the heat deck and add it to your discard pile, knowing that when your draw pile is empty, you'll be shuffling up and drawing from that. And now all of a sudden there's a basically a dead card in there that the mm -hmm. only way you can get rid of is with the cooldown effect. So if you moved last, one of the little benefits of moving last is you get an option to cool down if you have a heat card in your hand. Everybody's moved, and based on the fact that you moved, now we determine, I mean, if you're not rubbing, you're not racing. If you're not getting behind somebody and drifting off of them, you're not racing because it helps you conserve fuel, and this game has the ability to drift. Before that, there are other cards that you can play that give you extra icons like cooldown icons, or if you're in first or second gear, you have the option to take a cooldown. With any gear, you can do another stress at this point and oh, add true. a heat. Uh, and let's say let's say you're on a straightaway, and it's like, man, I, I'm losing ground here. So I'm I'm going to take an action based on where my gear is. I'm going to put a heat in my discard pile, take a stress action, start flipping over the top card of my deck till a speed card is revealed, move my card that number of spaces. Then after that, if you are behind somebody, you can drift up to two spaces. Man, and I just lost the NASCAR term. They don't use drift. What do they, what's the term they use? It's not, is it, uh, oh man, I feel bad now. I'm North Carolina. I can't even think of the term. Oh, well, either way, drifting, you're basically going to be able to get caught in their wake and they're going to pull you alongside of them and you can move ahead too. Yep. And, and that, that to me was probably one of the more complex things for us to figure out. Can you drift there? Yeah, you can drift there unless you end up in certain spots. That's where you got to read the rules. I really don't want to go, you know, well, this is what has to apply in that. Drifting, just, there's a mechanism in the game. I think this is what's important, everybody. There's a mechanism in the game to where strategy comes into play, where if you end up behind someone or beside someone, you have that capability to drift, mm -hmm. which, which will slingshot you around. And what I like, too, is the movement was very simple. If you land on top of somebody, nobody, nobody blocks you. You could just move right through somebody. But if you end up on top of someone, you have to move to one spot behind them. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because then you'll get that drift. Drift. Yes. Drafting. Thank you. Drafting. That's Drafting. it. Drafting. Now, everybody's sitting here thinking, well, this doesn't sound like too great of a game. I mean, if all you're doing is playing a bunch of cards and you're throwing them out there and you're just moving around the track, what, what, where's the strategy? Where's the complexity? Where is the tension? Next step. Did you go into a corner? Did you go hot into a corner? Did you back it down? Did you make the right call? Go. Go talk about it because this is probably where the game will blow, excel, blow a tire for a lot of people. This is by far the best part of the game. Number one, you get several roadmaps here. There are four. Oh, really? I thought there, I only saw two. You, you held one back on me. Yeah, there was, there was one still in the box. Oh, okay. You got these two nice boards, uh, double-sided, uh, for being able to put out uh, four different types of tracks. On the tracks, on the curve, there was a speed value to it. If it was a sharp curve, it was a low number. If it was a gradual curve, it was a higher number. 
Everything that we've talked about so far is basically the steps of a round. Select your gear, select your cards, reveal your cards, move, resolve your actions, drift. But if you went around a curve, you look at the value of what the curve is. If the value that you moved based on your cards, the speed that you did on your cards is higher than the curve value, you must pay the difference in heat, meaning you must take cards from your heat deck and add them to your discard pile. So Tony, if we went to a corner hot at like a speed of five, and that corner said, you should really be coming to this thing at a speed of two, you are burning tires going around that thing, trying to hit the brakes. You must add three heat cards to your discard pile because you came in there so hot. And what happens if you can't pay the heat? So if your heat deck is empty, you've basically spun out and you go back to the curve. If you went through the curve, you go back to a spot right in the middle of the curve and that's where you'll start your turn next time. But you're going back before the the curve turns because you still yeah. have to factor in and you also have to gear all the way down to one. You stop. Yes. You, yeah. You, spun you stall. Out. You, I mean, yeah. if you're a fourth gear, guess what? You're, you're, you're back at the curve. You spun out. You're back in first gear and having to speed up from there. But meanwhile, people are going <laughs> flying by you. And that's the sound they make in NASCAR. I've been to a NASCAR race. <laughs> that is the best part of this game by far because you're all probably sitting there thinking, well, why not just leave it in fourth gear and just play four cards every time? Because when you see a curve coming up and you realize, oh, that curve has a value of two. If I'm in fourth gear, I have to play four cards. Yeah, that ain't too smart. You better back that sucker down to gear one or gear two. Hope you have low value cards in your hand to get around that curve and then crank it back up after you hit the next straight away. And that's where you have to plan ahead. You have to be looking. You have to know what cards are in your deck. You need to know which ones you've played so that you can know that at the end of the next round, how far are you coming up? And if you don't plan far enough ahead and you're too far outside of the curve, you know that, okay, I can, I can get up to speed seven and go into the curve. Wait a minute. The curve says three. Once you break that curve barrier, it doesn't matter. You got to come up short of the curve to go into your next turn, because if you don't, as long as you hang out the heat, you're okay. Yep. You know, you're fine. You're, you're able to play that. So yes, the, the curve is what makes the game. And here's the thing. Let's say Tony, you do that. You, you go right up to the curve before it starts and you're sitting in fourth gear. You have to think, well, next time I can only get down to second gear. And let's say I'm looking at my hand and I don't have a lot of low cards. If you don't draw a bunch of low cards, you're going to have to play two cards. And if you have to, and your cards go up to a value of four. Mm -hmm. So even next turn, you may exceed that value if you don't plan correctly. Race around the track, continue doing these mechanics. You play a set number of rounds or or laps, 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 sorry, laps. That's what they call them in racing. They call them laps. Yeah. Because you know, rubbing is racing. Rubbing is racing. That's right. Sack Creek Concrete. Oh, man. <laughs> so there's that big so for you to edit out. Love the game. My gosh, it was so good. It is so, And I know people are going to sit there and go, well, there's another game that has cars on the track and you're playing cards. How is it different? And that's Downforce. But Downforce is a, is a great game. Very fun game. But you remember when you play Downforce that you may play a card and everybody's cards cards move? 
Mm-hmm. You know, it has the colors of all the cars going to move based on the car that you play. And there's also this concept of you're trying to guess who's going to come in first. And you got your little sheet that you try to get. It may not be even you, right? I mean, if you're not doing well, you might could get points based on where you think others are going to finish at the end. So I never felt like I was controlling one car in that game. In this game, you're controlling one car and making all the decisions as you race. It's a pure racing game. That's it. And there's other expansions. Uh, there's one that we, uh, we, we only played one of them. One of them I do want to mention that we didn't get is the weather. Weather can affect the game. So you, what you do is you randomly put out a weather tile at the beginning. It tells you whether it's like, let's say, for example, it's a sunny day. That means you actually start, because it's hot, you actually, your deck starts with additional heat already in it. Imagine uh, that. Yep. Then there's, if it's rainy, that could affect the, the track traction. Uh, there's little cards. Uh, if you play with the weather, you also have little tokens that go around the board. And you flip them over and it tells you the condition of that stretch of track. So let's say, for example, the this stretch mm-hmm. of track is slippery, and I'll say, okay, well, you can't, you, your speed's going to be minus one or something like that. So you can have the randomization of the track with the weather. We played one called Garage, where we got to draft upgrade cards into our deck at the beginning of the game that maybe were better wheels, better gear shift, better engines, et cetera. And so a little, if, a little if, deck building. You got a yep. little deck building going on there. So at the beginning, uh, we we did a snake draft, and each of us drafted three of these cards to go into our deck to make our car a little bit more tuned and better. Now, I found it interesting that in our group, it was mentioned that it'd be nice if we were be able to, kind of like the game Automobiles, where you are able to continue to buy to improve your card. That would make it a lot like a deck building game. You mean as you play the game? Yeah. Yeah, we did mention that. You're right. That's a very cool. We thought this concept, it would have been cool if there was a pit stop. So Mm -hmm. let's say you pull into the pit. People may be able to go by you, but at that time, maybe you can upgrade your wheels or change a little bit and then get back on the track, basically, and have this extra car that's in your deck. That would have been really kind of interesting. Yes. There's other modules. I know there's, I believe, one like Legacy where you, you continue a racing season. There's one where it has like AI. Uh, so if there's not a lot of players, you can put the rest of the cars on the board and it tells you how during each round, how those cars will move. And then, like you said, there's like a championship racing to where you can race multiple races and you could upgrade your car over time. And the upgrades that you make carry from um, uh, basically race to race. Yeah. The AI reminds me of total control racing, TCR racing with a little car that went around the track that you had to pass. Mm hmm. And or the little ambulance. Never understood why there was an ambulance on the TCR track. <laughs> was wasn't that's right? It wasn't ambulance. I'm trying to think else if there was some, there was something else. There was another there car. There was another car you could add. You could have two cars running on it. Yeah, God, that was such a fun game. Oh, uh, I tell you, I don't have a lot of negatives to say about this, except that uh, it would have been cool to modify your deck as the game went on. Uh, but aside from that, the game what plays an hour easily, easily an hour, and it moves quick because everybody is selecting their gear shift simultaneously. Everybody's selecting their card simultaneously. Then after you reveal, you'll go like player by player at that point. Yeah, and I think the two laps we did was plenty. Um, yes. I don't. I couldn't imagine because I think it would get long after a while. There are. There was a shorter track we didn't play that was three laps, but there was a lot less spaces on the track. Okay. The art's amazing. 
any if you if y'all are a fan of Vincent Dutre's art style, then you're gonna love this. It looks really good, the cards and everything. One thing that Bert noticed I thought was really, really clever is the spaces are numbered going into the curve. So it tells you how many spaces you are away before you hit that curve and have to determine your speed going into that curve. So it made the math easy. It's like, oh, I got I got a lot of cards in my hand, but you see how many cards should I play, but I don't want to go through the curve. Oh, I see I'm 16 spaces away. So I'll play this number of cards added to 15 to make sure that I'm just a tad, tad short of that. Yeah, speeds up the game. That little ad right there was clever because otherwise you would sit there and count the number of spaces you can move before you hit the curve. Exactly. It's a little speed up mechanism. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's greatly appreciated. For me, uh, I enjoyed playing the game. Uh, it's, it's one of those intro games. It's kind of like you. it sits on your shelf and you're just like, oh man, I got six people over. What can we play mm -hmm. right now? This game, fast to teach, easy for people to understand. The curve mechanism will throw them off at first. And I think the more people you have, the drifting may become a little bit challenging, complicated at times. Uh, something that you just got to work your way through the first few times so people can understand it. Who's going to be drifting when? And I mean, you only drift once. It's not like you keep drifting, right? You know? Well, here's the thing is, you're talking about the curve is confusing, but the whole curve part of the rules, the game, that's what makes this game. If it didn't have that in there, then all you're doing yeah. is just literally just playing cards and moving around. There's nothing to that. There's no strategy whatsoever. It's the fact that you've got to control your speed using your gear shifter between first and fourth gear to determine how many cards you're going to play and then plan ahead to downshift. Know you're coming into a curve so that you have to play, so you don't have to play as many cards going into that curve. You don't have to as long as you got the heat. If you can yep. pay for it, go for and it. And remember, if you got the heat, how do you get rid of that? It's that cool down. There, there are... The cards from the garage uh, mm -hmm. that you might could draft to play that when you play it, it gives you a cooldown icon. So that gives you a way to get rid of a heat card out of your hand. And again, it doesn't go to your discard pile. It goes back to your heat deck. Mm -hmm. uh, that That's really cool. So you can kind of replenish your heat deck over time too. It's a very, very clever game. It is a pure racing game. And I really, really enjoyed it. Now, Tony, I actually have another game coming to us that I pre-order from a GMT games called Chariotier. Okay. It's a it's a Roman racing chariot game that also uses card play and only lasts 60 minutes. So it'll be very interesting to see how that game compares with this game. I still want to play Thunder Alley. I know you got that on your shelves too. That is a longer game. That's definitely a longer game. So, <laughs> and when I when I say confusing, I think once you play, once you let people go through the first curve, they'll understand it. That's what I mean by confusing people. Yeah. When you talk, talk, I don't understand. Oh, now I understand this curve concept all right that's heat pedal to the metal days of wonder hey go out go do a little race <laughs> five minute initiative begins in three two one tony has really gotten me to like train games so when a new game from osprey games was announced called village rails from matthew dunston brett gilbert and art by Joanna Rosa was announced at Gen Con. I said, oh, I got to play this. So they were kind enough to send us a copy to check out. And Tony, I didn't realize this. This is a small box game. I was immediately stunned by the size of the box. I thought it was going to be a regular size box game. And it's actually a small little game because there's not a lot of con there's not a lot of stuff in it except these really small cards, these little track cards and trip cards that you're going to be playing over the course of the game in order to try to guess what? 
Get most victory points. Yay! That's right. And the way you get these victory points is by planning the routes. Because on your turn, you have to place a track. Yeah, you get to pick from a line of tracks. And like we see in a lot of these games on the mechanics that you can skip over the first one in line, but you got to pay for it. Right? Yep. You got to drop a token on every card that you Mm -hmm. skip over uh, to get to the one that you really want. You take that, you place it in your four by three grid. Mm -hmm. It can only go, it can go two ways, but the tracks will always connect. What do you mean it can go two ways? Well, it can, it can either go up this way or that way. You guys seen what I did? <laughs> you can't put it 90 degrees. It's only going to go one or two ways. You can't put it 90. Okay. Let's move you're on. Saying. You're burning time here. <laughs> it was very confusing. Yeah. So at the very beginning of the game, you build this little cardboard border. There's a border along the top, a border along the left-hand side. The left-hand side has four rows, and the border on top has three columns. When you draft a card, it must go beside a border or an existing card that you played uh, during your turn. And the tracks connect, and if ever a track makes it to the edge, you're going to score this uh, track based on various victory con- or victory point conditions that are there. Terrain can impact it. There's some other types of items, these ticket cards that can be played. These various things will help you gain victory points. Plays very fast. Twelve turns. Basically, when everybody has filled, when everybody's put uh, filled up their their grid, it uh, you do that final scoring, and that's pretty much it. So we talked about you know you must always on your turn must draft a track and play it. You have the option to take a trip card. Now the trip card is how you can get additional points for a particular line. There's a cost of buying a trip card. It's going to cost three. And then, same thing, the one that's closest to you, uh, you can get for free. But for anything beyond that, you have to add a token or a coin to each one to get to the one that you want. And you can place that in either a row or column. And there could be up to two trip cards per row or column. Why do you want it there? Is because when you finish a line, when a line is complete, when it goes from a border to an edge without a border, you score it, like Tony said, based on those icons. Those icons could be like, Hey, you get points for every type of barn that has this type of terrain. You get uh, each farm token gets one point for different type of terrain on the line. Some are just instant points. But the trip cards that you bought can do additional scoring. Maybe it will say, hey, score your farm icons a second time or score double points here. Or you get points for only having this type of terrain. Or you get points if you have every different type of terrain. It's all these different things. So you can try to strategically build your line to match the scoring of the trip card that you took to maximize your points. Very simple game, quick to play. Only negative I have was seeing some of the icons on the cards cards based on the terrain that was behind them. They were hard to see, to pick up on. So I found that to be a little complicated at times and getting lost as to, oh, wait, crap, I need to get this ticket. Oh, that that's that icon and not that icon. That's, I mean, I know those are little things, but they can ruin the enjoyment of the game. Well, there were several times I think I, w- I would look like if the tracks were on the opposite side of the table, which they were, I'd have to ask, you know, what I what terrain is that, you know, track sort of deal. It does play fast. It's two to four player plays in 45 minutes. That's very easy. Setup is nothing. Everybody sets up their border put out the uh, cards and then play. Like I said, you're going to play 12 rounds and then the game is over. 
there are uh, there's a way to have some like some in-game scoring bonuses based on another type of icon that may be in your tracks. You count up your number of those icons at the end, you get bonuses for that. But most of your points are scored as you play the game. I think resource management is extremely important, Tony, because lots of times you are short on money. Mm-hmm. And the way to generate more money is with terminus cards. At the beginning of the game, everybody is dealt three terminus cards. And when you complete a line, you will play one of your terminus cards. At a minimum, you're going to get three bucks. But based on what's on the terminus card, you could get more. So, for example, I might have a terminus card that says you get bonus money based on the number of maybe farms that I have or types of terrain that I have in this complete line. So there are times when playing this game, you might need to finish a line a tad early because you're short on funds and you need to play a terminus card to get money. And then after you complete a line, you draw a new one into your hand. Fun game. Just I'll end it there for me. Fun game. It is. It is one of those you throw in your backpack, small game. It's exactly what I wanted. Great way to start off the evening or in the evening. Easy to learn. Village Rails by Osprey Games. These are the type of games that I love. Will stay on my shelf. Five minute initiative is complete. I got it pulled up right here, Marty, for shopportalgames.com. So I wouldn't screw it up. And now I'm going to click <laughs> on that link and I'm going to go see what they've got over there. Oh, they've got some. Oh, I know what they got. Tony, we just got Basilica that you and I need to play. Two-player game. And also people on our Discord channel that said, I've got Brazil coming in. I'm, I'm excited for that. And if you go out to Shop Portal Games, you can do a pre-order now for Wrath Light of the Lighthouse, Wrath of the Lighthouse, and Ignacy's been playing that on Twitter. Yes, he has, mm-hmm. and you can get some bonuses if you order it now on pre-order. So right there, I'm looking at it. You've got a it's a single. So first off, we gotta make sure we understand this that it is a single player expansion for Imperial Settlers, Empires of the North. So very important that you know that so that you don't think you're getting an expansion to Empires of the you know. Empires of the North for all other people. Okay, this is single player. Always good to have 15 scenarios with two possible endings. If you manage to score the required number of points and complete all set objections, you will win the scenario and start the next one. There you go. You got some bonuses happening here. Let's see what else Ignacy has over at shopportalgamesus.com. Oh, we just missed the Halloween deals. They had some dreadful circus. Still a great game. That is, I love that game. We need to get that to the table again. Can we do that? Yes, fun game, fun group game. And I know it has an 11. It has an 11. 11 yep. is on pre-order at $50. $50 for 11. I'm excited about that one. Can't wait to see what he's got in, uh, for our, that game. Web exclusives. Don't forget about that. Go out there and be sure to check it out. You've got the Detective Playmats, the Imperial Settlers Playmats. A playmat that you and I need to get, Nirishima Hex playmat. Oh, how do we not have one of those? Probably because we just don't. Yeah, we got to have one of those. And then eventually someday when we plan Stronghold Undead, get that playmat. I've got the playmat for that one. Why don't I have the playmat for that one? I don't know. That is just so wrong. Ignacy likes me more. Yes, he probably does. We, we also, talking about Nirishima Hex, 
you can definitely pick up some, finding some of the armies you might be missing. This might be the only way to do it. Come on, $10 for a, a hex army out there. I know that you and I have been playing on the digital app of that. I'm still waiting for you to finish up the game. You still have not done that. I did. Hold on. I thought I did. No, you did not. So if you if you're like me and you can't get the game to the table, play it online with a friend who forgets it's his turn. No, it, I thought I finished the game because you won. No, or says, was it a tie? I don't know. It says that uh, they're still waiting on you to play your turn. Oh, hold on. See, this is what you have to deal with. I say, well, I say, who are we doing here? So, who is who are the people that you were playing? Who are the I white was, tiles. I was playing the smart. Okay, I've never seen those before. They're a pain the, in the butt. That I was the Gatling gun was pretty darn cool. Yeah, we we finished. It was a six six tie. I shared it. For some odd reason, on mine, it does not show that you've taken your turn yet. That's so weird. we're doing a little bug. We're, we're doing a little bugging, <laughs> debugging for Ignacy. And when he hears this spot he's going to be calling some developers up because he loves developers <laughs> so be sure to head over to shopportalgames.com uh, holiday season's right around the corner still to this day one of my all-time favorite euros is terra mystica which was why i was excited when earlier this year when capstone Games said hey we got a game coming out for you Terra Mystica lovers out there that don't get to play the game a lot because it's so long. Well, how about a shorter version of the Terra Mystica? And we're going to call this game Terra Nova. It's designed by Andreas Fowl. Plays two to four players. And the sweet thing about this, this bad boy only plays 60 to 90 minutes. And after playing some games of this, that is 100% true, Tony. You who used to be so grumpy playing Terra Mystica because it was taking so long, at least this should make you a little bit happy that they cut a lot of time out of this game. Yes, no doubt about it. I was never a Terra Mystica fan. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. There was just something about that game that, and I think a lot of it, if I remember back to my Terra Mystica plays, it was along the lines of always feeling like the power, and you can talk about the power, which is part of this game as well. I always felt constrained by that resource. And it frustrated me to no freaking end. So when I went into Terra Nova thinking, is power still going to be an issue in this game? Will I feel the same way? Before we get into the game, our likes and dislikes, what are some of the differences of this awesome game? So for those listening, when he says power, you mean the power pills, the purple pills? Yeah, power pills. What I call them, yeah. All right, if you're a Terra Mystica fan, probably the immediate thing you're going to know will just... How is this different? Here are the main things. One, it's five rounds instead of six. There's no worker resources. If you remember playing Terra Mystica, you had the little cubes that you have to use to spend to, to build things. That doesn't exist in this. There's no priest. Thus, there's no priest sideboard for putting those uh, priests out there and moving up those tracks over there. There's only five terrain types instead of seven. And I don't understand why this isn't in there, but there's no option to discard a power pill to move a power pill. And what I mean by that was, uh, you always had the option in Terra Mystica. Like if I, I really needed power in bowl three, there's three bowls, but they're using, they got to be in bowl three. How can I get them over there? Well, you could discard a power pill. I just call them power pills. I don't know why, 
because uh, they look like little pieces of medicine. Um, discard it out of bowl two, out of the game, never be used again to transfer one from bowl two to bowl three. And at some point in the game, when you just really needed power resources, that was a good way to get that done. They took that out of this. I really don't understand why. But the nice thing is, aside from those differences, everything else is almost 100% the same. Almost. I mean, everything else plays the same to me. I know I've probably played it more than you, Tony, but didn't you oh, feel yeah. like after you remove all that stuff, you're left with what is basically Terra Mystica. And it was stuff that I didn't even remember. So mm. what, are the, what are the things I remember from Terra Mystica? I needed to build a house to a trading post to get to a cathedral. And after, and I was always replacing that. I remembered that. So that mm-hmm. was easy for me to understand. I knew that I needed to be able to uh, terraform the, the ground and I needed shovels to do that. Yep. So that was always nice to have. I was like, okay, I understand this. I know that I need to have, be able to have one shovel to terraform at one. And I, I'll don't, I can do two shovels and I could do it twice to get it to mine. But even if I do it only once, someone could come in and claim that over me. So I have to be very careful there, but you're always given the ability to build after you terraforming, assuming it's your appropriate terra, uh, terra, Terrain. Client. Terrain. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, I like the, and then the different faction abilities. You know, you mm-hmm. had the capability of having various different factions. There was always the hobbits in the old Terra Mystica, wasn't there? Uh, there weren't the hobbits. They were like the gnome, gnomes or dwarves or something like that. So yeah, this one has 10 different factions. There's five different boards based on the five different terrains and each faction board is double-sided. I kind of just like the original, just the, just like the original game. So all the factions do play a, a tad different. Uh, you do have the variable round-to-round scoring where randomly you put out these tokens and based on how you do well in that round, you may get some bonuses like it maybe for example, hey, if you build a cathedral in this round, you get a bonus of five points. Now, I will say this, Tony. I, that was always an issue of mine and Terra Mystica because the way those come out, it, you may not even be able to score. For example, in our game that we played of Terra Nova, if the round token that gave you five points, if you build a cathedral, if that was in the first round, there was probably no way man's going to be able to do that and get that because you probably wouldn't have enough money generated so far to spend 14 to build a cathedral. Right. So, but that's no big deal. So well, nobody it scores. Is, but it's a wasted, it's a wasted scoring opportunity that if it was later in the rounds, it would have taken care of itself. And I don't know where I've told y'all this, but when I played Terra Mystica before, when I randomly put out the round markers, if I see one that's like, there's no way anybody's going to do this in the first round, I'll redo them mm. and try to make it so that each one that's out there can be possibly scored that round. That's a nitpicky thing, but that is um, uh, still here in this game too. You literally have about the same actions uh, that you had with Terra Mystica. You're just going to take one action in return. Like I said, you can terraform, you can build. You could take one of the power abilities. The board has those listed where you spend the power. And it's the same thing. You got to spend power from bowl three to bowl one. Anytime you gain power, it's got to go from one to two. Once one's empty, you go from two to three, et cetera. Uh, you could take one of the special actions if you have those available to you. Oh, ships. You know, it has the ships just like Terra Mystica did. So that you can extend your reach. If you want to make adjacency, you could build a bridge. I can make a bridge out of a. Still don't know what that means, but that's okay. Monty Python, Holy Grail. Don't remember that. How do you know if she's made of wood? Make a bridge out of a. See, that's the part I don't remember. It's a duck <laughs> that I remember that part of it. It was the whole part leading up to the duck. I know there was a whole that discussion, but I got to the, the best part for me was the duck. 
What else floats? Uh, small rocks. Uh, gravy. I don't know. The gravy line is just so funny. Of all things, they pick gravy. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, Highbrow humor here, people. We've already yeah, I know, discussed it. I know. But anyway, so all the actions are pretty much 100% similar. And when you uh, get to the end and you say, I'm done, I can't do anything else, you're turning your little bonus tile, claim a new one, just unlike Terra Mystica. That's it. And, and mm-hmm. But in order to do some of the special actions on the board of getting additional money, which I found. So at the end of your turn, you know, you get to now go pick a tile that gives you either the ability to gain money or Power, do something. And then, uh, free shovel, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Stuff like that. But also where you get to spend power on the board. When someone does that, no one else gets to do that. One thing that they kept in the game, which to me was always a problem with Terra and Mystica, was mm. everybody went and got the money. Because you had to have the money. Oh, okay. So you're talking about one of the actions you could take is a power action. One of the power actions will spend four four power gets seven money. Yeah. And yes. Well, that's why you wanted to make sure that if you needed to be first, they did keep this part from the expansion uh, from Terra Mystica, where the turn order is dependent on when you end your round. So if I'm the first one to end, I'll be first player next round. But that's my problem with it is if, if money is such is so needed and everybody's going to do that. Only you and I fought over it. Mark was smart and built a bunch of houses. And every time you had a house built, you got it money. generated money during the income phase. I didn't build enough houses early on to have a good revenue source. What I do like about this that makes it a lot easier was in the original Terra Mystica game, I'm trying to remember, I don't think the trading houses provided money. I'm trying to remember. The nice thing is, is, is when you build a trading house and have to replace the basic building uh, that was on the tile with the trading house, it also gives, in my faction board, it also gave two money just like a house. So I didn't lose any income, but I gained gaining two power each income phase. Mm-hmm. So building trading houses out there was good. Yeah, but building the houses, it still costs you, unless you build adjacent to someone, 10 money. No, t- trading houses, Yes. Trading, I'm sorry, houses were four, but it still cost you how much to terraform? Six. So so still, so still, you still, unless you had to do it twice. I think it was six because people were having to pay 10 to terraform once and build one house. Okay, so that's what I meant by the 10. So there you go. And once again, you needed 10 in order to be able to do this. So you needed to gather the money to build the house. And I always felt like that it was in Terra Mystica. Mm. Those are my two hangups with Terra Mystica and probably this game as well. I'm not saying I wouldn't play this game and I didn't enjoy playing it because it's always a challenge. Any type of game that forces me to be challenged in my thinking and strategies, okay. But if I'm always doing the same stupid thing to make it happen, then what am I missing? Mm. You are 100% correct in that Terra Mystica is a very tough resource management game that where you've really got to be careful to make sure you have the resources you need to do what you want this game, even though there's less different types of resources, meaning there's no workers, it's still an issue of making sure you have the money or power that you need to get things done. It is a still a, a thinky game from that point. Yes, and power, the power pool, moving everything up to three and how you do that. So you've got to be able to move up to the trading houses or take a special action that gives you that ability to move power. And when you pass, then you're like, okay, that helps me move up my power. But my gosh, by the time it takes you to go from bowl one to bowl two to bowl three, and then you immediately use them, it's like it took me almost three turns to get all that moved up in there. Mm-hmm. 
And then, boom, in one turn, in a five-round game, in one turn, it's over. That's why I was surprised they removed the rule of discarding a power token in order to move one from bowl two to bowl three. I'm surprised that option was taken out. Well, it it makes it a, a faster game for darn sure. No, it doesn't. It makes it a slower game because... If you could get more power into your third bowl, it gives you something extra that you can do as opposed to wasting time. Like you said, spinning your wheels, trying to get your power regenerated from bowl one. And having to analyze how am I going to do that so I can then collect the seven money that I'm going to need to be the first person. I think that's a testament to how close this is to Terra Mystica because we're comparing it almost one-to-one mm-hmm. with the exact same actions, the same issues you have with Terra Mystica. So the same things I loved about Terra Mystica are here. I always had an issue, to be honest with you, with the sideboard of the priest. I always felt that was tacked on. Yeah. Gaia Project took care of that because Gaia Project kind of made it like a tech tree, which was thematically worked better. And I liked what that board did a lot better. So that side priest board not being there doesn't kill me at all. And I enjoyed my time playing it because I know, I know, I can't remember the last time. I think Bert looked it up. I think last time we played Terra was, was four years ago. Yeah. And that's just how often it's going to get to the table because it does take a while to set up. It does take a while to play. This game takes less time to set up and plays in one hour. There's a better chance that we're going to get to play it. And after the game was over, both Bert and Mark, who I believe are Terra Mystica fans, said that, that not with this as an option – they would pick this over Terra Mystica because it gives them the same feeling of Terra Mystica but plays quicker, and they know they won't be spending a couple hours on the same game and could do something else. I mean, I'll play this game again as well, definitely over Terra Mystica. And I, and I did learn something about the placement of my second house at the beginning. I really screwed that up, which really hampered me. Because one thing we didn't mention was that, and I think this is also in Terra Mystica, is the ability to build a which I completely forgot. You need four buildings at a strength of seven to, in order to form a town city. Yeah. City city. And by doing that's different. Keep going. I'll explain something else. Okay. So once I did that, then I was either able to get more additional victory points or get um, move additional power or whatever I picked. And then that town became, uh, the city became one. Then you had to get a second because you can't use any part of the building that was part of the first city as part of your second. And I, where I put my second location, I didn't think far enough in advance or didn't recognize what it would cost me to terraform all the way around. Everything around me, I had a river as well as the other two things that were going to cost me two shovels per to get to the next level. And then I could easily get to, to terraform it. I just said that one's wasted. That town was gone. So that placement was very important. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing you do with the game is everybody's going to uh, go around and place two uh, different towns or, or buildings. I can't remember what they're called. Houses. Uh, houses at the beginning, at the beginning of the game. So yeah, placement is just like in the original is important. What I was going to say is different is when you complete a town in Terra Mystica, you had a sideboard of uh, tokens that you could pull from that gave you bonuses that were accessible to everybody. And if you don't get to the one you want in time, you may miss out on it. In this game, everybody is just given four of the same city tokens so that when you complete your city, you just use one of your own and and use it. So you're no longer taken from a a central supply anymore. So that uh, part is a a tad different also. Yeah, 
And then being able, if you build next to someone and I think I, I don't, I never did. So I didn't pay a lot of attention to what was going on. That's exactly the same. If you build it, like you said, I think you said that earlier. If you build next to somebody with a trading house, the trading house is cheaper, but every adjacent person gets to move one of their power up, up one. So that is also the exact same. The, the concept of reach adjacency is the exact same thing, which is every time we play the game, we always have the discussion. Now, which one's important for reach? Because at the end of the game, whoever has the biggest connected set of buildings gets bonus points. That's the one in-game bonus mm-hmm. points. But it's based on reach, not adjacency. And adjacency is based on your cities. You got to cities, have, yeah. You got to have if, uh, to make a city. They must be adjacent. So there's a difference between and reach comes in from going up on your shipping track. And I think that's where I always screw up in this game is I always turtle. You don't want to turtle. You in can't this game. turtle in this game. You, you don't. You, you can't do it on your own. You've got to be next to someone in order to help you. Now they could take over the land, and that used to piss me off in Terra Mystica. Terraforming something and somebody would terraform it back on you, or oh, that would frustrate me to no end. All right, Terra Nova. Definitely, this will hit the table before Terra Mystica. Did I enjoy playing it? Yeah, any of these brain-burning type games, I'm going to enjoy playing. It's still, I still have the issue with the power. I still have the issue with having to get the money. But it is what it is for this game. What I wanted was the feel and play of Terra Mystica in 60 minutes. Terra Nova 100% does that for me. Never did I feel like I was playing something else. I felt like I was playing a more streamlined version of Terra Mystica. And once I was done, I enjoyed my time with it. I'm going to talk to the audience in a couple different groups here. If you've never played Terra Mystica and it seemed intimidated, Terra Nova is a great way to get into it to see if you would like it. If you've played Terra Mystica and really enjoy it, but maybe don't get it to the table that often, Terra Nova is a, is a great way to get into that. If you love Terra Mystica and you love that full experience, Terra Nova might not be for you because it does streamline some of the things that are in Terra Mystica that you might enjoy in the full game. Did I cover everybody, Tony, pretty much? Sure. <laughs> All right, that is Terra Nova out from Capstone Games. Tony still has the same issues with the game as always as a... Not really a Terra Mystica fan, but as me as a Terra Mystica fan, it's exactly what I wanted it to be. Hey, y'all, we got a special game we want to tell you about from Plat Hat Games. Tony, we've been a fan of Plat Hat Games for many, many years. Played a lot of their games. Summoner Wars recently played. Ash has really enjoyed it. Have you seen this game that's coming out called Hickory Dickory? Have you seen what the what it looks like? It's it's a clock, and I'm just, I'm just gonna read the bullet points so I don't mess this up. And Hickory Dickory players control a team of mice competing in a royal scavenger hunt. The mice will scurry around a beautiful cuckoo clock, collecting items as they compete for Lord Cuckoo's favor and ultimate treasure trove of berries, also known as victory points. There you go, uh, victory points. So here's what's cool, Tony. The reason why I was very interested in this is because this. Uh, You're going to have a team of mice that's going to ride around the clock's minute hand, and it's like a worker placement game, and they can jump off wherever the minute hand is to take that particular action. Okay. So I just thought that was really clever. Instead of just, you know, you take a worker and put it on the board, your workers are on this minute hand that moves around a clock. Uh, That's what you 
use to jump off in order to take actions to win the game. Okay, that's pretty. That's kind of cute. I like this. I'm, I'm seeing tableaus. I'm seeing placing placing tiles on boards here. I'm digging this. All right. Yeah. Cute. I, I, I just thought it was really. I love. We haven't played a good worker placement game in a long, long time. We've got a cat's what? paw here. Yeah. Okay. And, and also uh, has deluxe acrylic tiles. I love acrylic tiles. Mm-hmm. Dual layer boards. Love dual layer boards. Mice meeples. A custom insert. Also, I like this too. There's multiple paths to victory. I always love games when there's multiple ways to win. And that's from filling out the scavenger hunt cards to racing up the clock's weight chains. And thematically, I don't know. It just it just looks really cool to me. It's It's... A really unique kind of a rotation worker rotation game. Mm-hmm. It's not really Rondell, but it kind of has that look to me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Inter- I like when you, when you take some of the basic um, mechanisms behind the games, uh, the various game mechanisms, and you can apply it to a different style of theme. Yeah, yeah. Which is what I think this is. What's cool is this is not a Kickstarter game. This is developed. And it's finishing production right now. It's going to be released January 2023, and you can actually pre-order it right now. And if you're within the 48 contiguous states of the U.S., you get free shipping, and it's $59.95. Which, for me, now a $60 game is pretty standard, but when you talk about all these upgrades, that just kind of seems like a really good value to me. So that is Hickory Dickory from Plat Hat Games. You could pre-order it right now. Uh, I haven't played a good worker placement game in quite a long time, and I can't wait to check this one out. So the next segment is brought to you by Game Toppers LLC. And I heard, you heard me talk about playing a game recently, Chicken, at the beginning of this show. And we were playing on my mom's table, wood table. We were rolling dice on wood tables, and dice were going everywhere. But with Game Toppers, first off, a mat softens the blow. Second, the rails would have kept the dice from going everywhere. It's a win-win for you when you're playing those games. And in the next game, even though we weren't rolling dice, it would have looked amazing on one of those mats, kept everything in check. But you know what? We were playing at McAllister's, and I don't want to ruin those mats. But don't worry about it, because a Game Toppers mat, you can scotch guard it and wipe it up. Clean matter of fact, Marty and I have ordered a special mat from Game Toppers to cover the table at McAllister. So we don't care what those people put on that table. We're going to protect our games because we know that between the game and the table, we've got one of the game toppers mats that's easy to clean. Dice theme park. Alley cat games. <laughs> so that's it. You just, uh, yeah, I at least try to like segue from the game topper thing into the game at least. <laughs> Please. Segways are overrated. They're fun to ride, but they're overrated. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. uh, Dice Theme Park. Hey, I'm glad we finally got to play this after we got a review copy from uh, Gen Con, but couldn't play it because... One of the boards was misprinted. So I didn't have the necessary components to be able to support a four-player game. And I mm-hmm. really wanted to play this with four players. But Alley Cat Games, I went online, submitted the forms to get the uh, pieces uh, to me. Sure enough... They were responding to everything from Gen Con. They were a little slow, but I expected as much. I mean, they just got back from Gen Con, getting ready for Essen. But sure enough, my my pieces arrived all the way from the UK. Nice. 
So that was nice. I appreciated that. Everything was there. They responded very quickly. Got an email from them saying, hey, it's on the way. Don't worry about it. Here you go. Dice Theme Park was uh, Daryl Andrews, Adrian Adamascu. And this is a an engine builder. Well, let, let's just let's just say it's an engine builder. Yeah. You know what? Now that you say that, it 100% is, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just it's just different than a lot of other engineer um, engine builders by using dice manipulation to get them where they need to be to be able to trigger things. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, now I never played. Uh, oh, what was it? Dice Hospital. I think that's the other game they had. I didn't either. Yeah, I, I like the theme of this one better. Mm-hmm. And 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 I assume that the theme on Dice Hospital is very strong too. But I thought the theme of this one was really really clever, where the attendees of a park. A theme park that you're building is the dice themselves. Right. They're going to come to your park and it's your job to entertain them because when you entertain them, they are going to rave. They're going to give you great Yelp reviews and tell you that you're the best park because you've got the most victory points. One thing I will say at the start of this game, I did not expect this from the standpoint of just how solitaire this game is. I, I know what Tony means, and I think most people will mean this. When you say a game is solitary, it means like, even though you're playing together, when you're taking your turn, you're kind of heads down doing your own thing, really not paying attention to what other people are doing because you really can't affect other people and they aren't affecting you. Right. And the reason why this happens is most of the turns, most of the action in order to gain the victory point is the solitary mechanic where you're doing it. You, you can be simultaneous. The parts that you can't do simultaneously are at the beginning. And that includes attracting visitors to your park. They're in these monorails. Now, you're going to pull dice from a bag, and you are not going to roll them, which, you know, you're going to assign a pit value to them and put them on this monorail. So the only difference thing, the only difference is the color. And color matters because certain rides demand certain colors. You then will then bring these visitors to your park and they go into the entrance and then they can move about the park and ride the various rides if they meet certain conditions. Now, before they get there, you can also add attractions and that's something else that you have to do in turn order where I will pick a certain ride and Marty will pick a certain ride. Hey, here, I I want this ride. I want this. I want the spooky theater ride and Marty may want the, the mega zoomy roller coaster ride. All because he knows what his visitor, the color of the dice, his visitors that are already in the park and what will combo well with what he's already picked there. Those are the types of strategy you need to deal with. Yeah. And when you draft those, you're actually building out your park. So you you just have a few hexes uh, in front of you. And as the game goes on, you're adding new hex tiles. It kind of spreads out your park. And, but as these visitors or dice come into the park, they, can move around from tile to tile. And what happens is, is when they're used and move, they spin down one value on their, they spin down one value. So they mm-hmm. may go from six to five, five to four. If at the end of the round, uh, they're ever at a one, you look at all the dice in the park. If there's any ones there, they come out of the park. They're tired, Tony. They've kind of done everything they want to do at the park and they're ready to go home. But if they aren't, then they're going to be there for the next round. So that's where the drafting of the dice that you get for the next round and the new rides that you get are important based on where your other dice were left in the park. Because if you can get a certain combo of dice together for this particular ride, 
then you can activate that ride, which is one way you generate points. And some of them like will say, hey, you need to have a yellow die here and any other die that's less than the value of yellow. You know, it could be some sort of formula like that mm -hmm. in order to activate that ride. Or it says, okay, this one, some of the simple ones, this just needs a blue die. Well, blue dies here, you can activate this ride and score some points and be on your way. Right. I've operated the ride because I have the blue die. I spin it down. He's gotten off the ride. He wants to go to another ride. So you move that die. And there's no limit to the number of die on any of the ride tiles. It's just telling you how many can be operated. You can only operate the ride once unless it has an additional operate value or token there that gives you to do that. And that's an upgrade you can add to your ride. Yeah, there's several upgrades you can add to the ride. One is that. One is also a souvenir stand. Hey, they enjoyed this ride. They want to give you some more money for enjoying that ride. So it's also when you activate that ride, it generates some additional money for you. Yes. So how do we figure out who gets to go first in picking the monorail or pick and which and who gets to buy the next um, attraction? And that is done by picking up pay, picking two administrators from your deck of cards. And we start the game with all the same administrators. Values one through six. You play two. They're going to give you bonuses during various actions in the park. Say, for instance, oh, one of the administrators will allow you to either uptick a die twice or down or uptick two dice. Mm -hmm. easy, easy, nothing hard there. You add those up and they get to go. That determines who gets to go first. Whoever has the lowest gets to go first. Pretty cool. But during the upkeep, there's this really unique action that we had never experienced. And that is those two administrators you pull, like your competitor to your left, and they've gotten hired by them, and you have to give those administrators to that person. So you pass the card that you played to the left. They are no longer available to you. So that administrator that allowed you to tick up the dice by two, he's now gone next door. Well, the person to your right Hopefully they're going to play that or you won't get that um, administrator again. Not Well, you may not get it that round. You, you may, may not get eventually get it in may, a future round. Yeah. Or, or you hey, have your hand full of the same type of administrator and you really need something else besides mm -hmm. that one. Tony, I have never experienced that either. I That was really, really interesting. I've experienced ones where, all right, I have a hand of cards or actions or something. I'm going to select these two, which means I can't use them next round. I've never seen it where the two that you select are handed off to somebody else, potentially never be seen again. Yes. Was, and, and you may end up with a card of not, uh, a hand of nothing but low cards or nothing but high cards. Uh, so that was, I really enjoy that. And lots of times I would look to who is to my right to see, okay, what am I getting next round? So mm -hmm. I can kind of plan ahead for that. That's really the game. I mean, we can. I, I don't see any reason to go through all the actions and the things. There, there are various things that help you with the dice manipulation. We talked about the administrators. There's the mascot that can come into play. You can hire these mascots. Oh, that's that was really important though, because typically to move dice around, you got to activate a ride to get them to move. Uh, you could pay a mascot token to move them to uh, move a die to another adjacent piece without spinning the die. Mm -hmm. And that game sets you up for the next round. Right. It's an engine of how do I operate all these rides, move them to the next ride, and then get them set up so that they can operate that ride during this round or get them set up for the following action. And one thing, we did mess up one rule in the game where it, whenever a ride is operated, 
you're supposed to tick them down. And we played it where, well, if it's a one, they couldn't operate it. And that was wrong. You can operate the ride with a one. It's just that that person is then leaves the park. They don't go to the next ride and wait for the cleanup phase, which is very important because if you have two dice that you need to operate a ride, one has to move on. And maybe you want that one to stay there. Well, if that one that was at a one leaves, that one's got to move. And so that's something you have to do. And that, that refreshes the pool a lot too. And we talked about engine building at the very beginning of the game. So now we've kind of talked about the game. Here's where the engine building comes in. So like you said, Tony, when you activate a ride, one of the die that you use to activate must move on. If you're clever enough, you would have it move to another ride adjacent to it that it can be used again mm -hmm. to activate again. And you can build these chains. So if you have a die with a high enough value that can match the conditions of the tiles, you can just have it activate a ride, move, activate a ride, move, activate a ride, you know, and really create these wonderful combos that we were all doing, but really didn't get a chance to see because we're all doing it simultaneously. So right. that's the solitaire part of the game. And you, tr and that's one thing you got to trust your buddies. Nobody's going to cheat you. Right. Now at the end of certain rounds, then you would have the capability. There were scoring rounds, just like every game that we play where, Oh, at the end of this round, if this uh, condition occurs, then you will have um, a scoring and whoever comes in first gets this amount of points into the game. Here's the total number of points. Yay. You've got a winner. It wasn't a hard teach. This is the first time I think I've taught and actually demoed how to do the, the dice ticking. Cause mm -hmm. I think that helps people understand. So it wasn't a difficult teach to do at all. Wasn't uh, you know, there's an income phase, the card passing. There wasn't a whole lot that I thought, you know, stood out from the standpoint of complication. You know, an easy game. I also really enjoyed the game. I really think it's clever when people use dice in a game and they're never rolled. Yes. I, I think it's just like, okay, everybody's used to shaking dice in their hand and rolling them and doing something results. I really, we've played a lot of games recently with Euros, but that's not the case at all. Just dice are a component used for stat tracking or for resource type management. I love engine building, so I love building the park. I love the puzzle of trying to make sure that, okay, this particular ride needs two dice. So if I put a ride here that needs this one die, a ride here that needs another, activate those two to move them to the one that needs two, then I can activate that. Mm -hmm. It just was very rewarding when you pull off one of those combos, which is why I'm a big engine building fan because I love the rewards of building combos. I thought the theme worked really well. I really enjoyed this one too. I, I really, really did. And I can't wait to play it again. And I, when I was telling Donna about it, I was like, this, this will take Sagrada to the next level for you. Mm. Where, where your pain in Sagrada t dictates the color and the numbers for you. Here, you get to take that same similar concept, but you're building the pain based on the theme park. And you get to see that. I appreciated not having to roll dice from the monorail for picking the visitors. Sometimes you had to sit there and think, okay, I know Marty's heavy into the blue die on his part. Then when I looked over at the monorail, I needed to evaluate those and see which ones was he getting. And that may dictate what type of park I'm going to build. I enjoyed it. I can't wait to play the other modules in this game. I look forward to playing this with uh, Donna. I think it's, it's that accessible. Mm-hmm. So that is Dice Theme Park from Alley Cat Games.
Tony, you know at Miniature Market, you can get free shipping for everything over $100, right? Yes, I do know that. Matter of fact, somebody has got an order. Wait, we're waiting on a pre-order. I went in with this guy. It was kind of funny. It was like the Amway. Yes, but Miniature Market, yes. Yeah, so the reason why I brought this up is because if you're going to do this, I was going to suggest that <laughs> you know, if you don't have $100 worth of stuff, what you do is you get your friends to say, hey, if you want to, let's go in together. If you're going to buy some stuff from Miniature Market, we'll pull it all in one order and then we'll have it shipped for free. And that's what I did with my friends. I said, hey, guys, y'all want anything to throw in the order? They said, well, yes, that's awesome. So I placed an order for this and for that and they paid me for it. And I went, sweet. When the pre-order that I have on that order releases sometime in November, we'll get our stuff and they'll say, excuse me, what do you mean a pre-order? And I said, yeah, it was with the pre-order. So you didn't tell us a pre-order was involved. We thought you was going to press ship today. And I went, yeah, sorry about that. So um, if you're going to use that, make sure your friends know whether there is a pre-order item on the list because that would delay shipping. Oh, some people, miniaturemarket.com, you know, every, Marty, I'm, every time I go there, something else is on sale. It's my daily stop now. You know, you have various websites that you hit to see mm -hmm. what's on sale. Same thing here. I know over Halloween, they had some uh, sales about the horror games. I can't wait to see what they're going to do for Turkey Day. See what's going on. I don't know any games with turkeys. I know some games that are turkeys, but I don't know any turkey games. So we'll see if what they put on sale during that time. I'm with you. MiniatureMarket.com is the place to go. Every once in a while, somebody will reach out to us with a video game key and say, hey, I know you guys talk about video games. Would you like to check out a game? And I'm a big fan of games like Slay the Spire. And so uh, this one publisher reached out and said, hey, we got this game called One More Gate, a walkthrough legend that's going into early access uh on steam would you like to check it Wait, out what, I went, what what what's the name of this game one what? more I, gate a walk foo legend i swear i must be my my earphones uh, i thought you said a walk foo legend so i don't know much about this world uh this is a franchise that has like it has a tv series i think it's on netflix comic books uh, uh video games so that's the theme of it. So it's like Slay the Spire, except built in this world. And it's one of those that if you're a big fan of strategic deck builders, roguelike games like Slay the Spire, this might be interesting to you if you've ever played any of the other games, watch TV show and everything. It's on early access right now uh, on Steam. Uh, right now you can play through a couple dungeons. Uh, it's one of those typical things where you can uh, you get these runes to make combos with your cards. So it has a lot of the same types of mechanics of getting the cards together in the right combination, do a lot of damage. Uh, you also have merchants where you can upgrade your cards and say, it's the kind of the standard fare. But again, if you're into that world, then you might want to check this out because it is on early access right now. And it's going to be coming out on steam and the Nintendo switch next year. Do I need to play this? You know how I am on these games. Do you like slay the spire? I haven't played it enough to be a good uh, judge of it, I don't think. I mean, I've played it. I enjoyed it. But I, the first time I played it, I did not realize that I had to restart. Yeah. So, roguelike deck building games is kind of the hit right now. That's, yeah, that's, that's what's really popular. And that's what this game is. So, roguelike, you have to restart. Deck building is you're building your deck over the course of the run to make it better and better and build special combos and stuff. Okay. Well, something I will consider. 
Oh, by the way, uh, just so you know, uh, before I forget, Vanessa came home today with our next taste test. Ooh, what 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 did we get? We got the Mountain Dew fruit cake flavor. Yes, I was wondering I about that one. I think it's Quake Cake. They've already tried it. They didn't tell me anything about it, but they said it's really good. They said, "You remember how bad gingerbread was?" And I went, "Oh yeah." They said, "Yeah, it's not like that." Well, I'm almost done with my Mountain Dew Voodoo's uh, for this year for the mystery flavor. Waiting to see what this is. You know, I'm just trying to get this one didn't grab me. So mm. I'm just trying to get through the 12. So unfortunately there's not a zero sugar. It's going to be the full sugar induced Mountain Dew quake. Is it quake cake? Can't remember the exact name, but it's based. It's that's the new Christmas seasoned drink. Okay. Now I know in our discord channel, someone posted Mountain Dew Funyuns. New, new. Is that for, is that for real? I don't know. I, I, don't could, care, I no. couldn't tell if that was for real or not. If that is for real, that's nasty, but I'll try it. Well, yeah, we'll do anything. Sure. <laughs> we, we ate insects, so. Absolutely. I do want to mention one thing that occurred recently. I, I put together a box insert, mm-hmm. and that was to kind of organize, get, get a game organized, get some of the expansions out of the old closet to make up for some shelf room. And this is just for people to understand that you it's not what get what you pay for, but you need to pay attention. This was a quote generic insert that would go across multiple games. Okay. So it wasn't specific to this particular game. Okay. Gotcha. But it would work. It's kind of like, remember when, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, but you had to fit a standard size box. It does, but it could fit multiples of these standard size box. All right. Everything worked fine. It had places for cards. It had places for the tokens. Everything was good. Mm-hmm. And it said it could handle all the expansions. Outstanding. So I'm putting it together. Didn't have any issues putting this uh, one together. But probably what irritated me the most about this was the fact it didn't take in account for the scoring board and the various faction boards. Okay. When you put the lid back on, Uh-oh. and and this is me, it didn't go all the way down because the insert was to the top of the bottom box. So when you laid the faction board on top and the rules on top, it made it go a little bit higher. But for another box that it was designed for, that box was just a little bit higher. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Now, this may not irritate you. But it does me. It makes no, me no, grumpy. I, I would want a lid to fit flush. Yeah, flush. It's got to fit flush. Even though it's okay, for me, it's got to fit flush because I feel like it's going to eventually, through the earthquakes that we have here in North Carolina, it would f- come apart and I'd see a bunch of tokens everywhere. Sarcasm. Sarcasm. Most yes. people may not know. We've, we have had some earthquakes we, here. We have, but we're more inclined to have a hurricane and tornadoes. Actually, we had more uh, earthquakes this year than we did hurricanes. I guess there's earthquakes happening all the time, right? It's just whether you feel them. Right. I mean, South Carolina was getting rocked all year long. So yeah. uh, so, so if you're, you're the same way. You want it to fit flush. Yeah, because I'm, I'm also worried because uh, the, the top will rock. I'm afraid it'll pop off. So mm-hmm, Fall out on you. So now I got to go get a band. Or I could just say, okay, I wasted my money on this insert, but I didn't want to do that. And I was just kind of, oh, it went together really nice. It's doing a great job. But I'm just like, man, if only I could shave this down a little bit. 
I'm like, that's a, that, yeah, exactly. Your expression, your facial expression was like, don't, that's just disaster waiting to happen. I got my bandsaw. I was going to say, take it to a bandsaw. (laughs) 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 That's funny. (laughs) I can see splinters everywhere. It would not, oh man, that one was not right. Cause my, um, my T-square on my bandsaw broke and I, and the bandsaw is so old. I can't find a T-square that fits the groove. So we'll figure that one out. But yes, that's the inserts for the box. And I was just like, man, I was really looking forward to that. But I'm still looking for a, a Art Nova insert. I got I to eventually make that happen. Yeah. All right, then. With that, I'm going to segue right into the exit of this show. I am getting <laughs> off the ramp. I'm pulling into the pit stop. Man, she's been running hot all night. The heat's up on this thing. The heat is on. Was that an eagle or was that a... No, that was just Glenn Fry. Yeah, we had this discussion an hour and a half ago when we started the show. You expect me to remember that? No, I don't. Especially this late at night. Thank you. Keep rolling dice. And taking names. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names. Instagram, Dyson Names. Come join our Discord channel, y'all. We have a great time over there. Our next episode will be a video cast where we talk about revisiting Netrunner after 10 years. So, Marty, you know that if April showers bring Mayflowers, what do you think Mayflowers bring? We're still doing this. Is this not going to get old? Not for me. All right, so hold on. So if April showers bring Mayflowers, what was the rest of it? What do Mayflowers bring? Pilgrims? Pilgrims? <laughs>